Mutation Station, episode 10, where we embrace the marvels of genetic mutations. Just a reminder, I'm Mish and I'm your mutant. And I can't believe we've reached the end of season one. Boo! There are so many gorgeous mutations to run through, so I'll definitely come back with a season two and hopefully this time with more interviews. I do really try to get interviews, but it's amazing how many people don't want to do it as they don't like the sound of their own voice. I totally get that. So thank you to everyone who did agree to interviews. I know it was a bit tough, um, but I appreciate it. And then there are things where, for instance, I did get in contact with Jesus Aceves, who has uh, hypertrichosis, but he only speaks and understands Spanish. So the communication was a bit tricky. He couldn't even answer questions that I had written to him with Google Translate, so hoping to be a bit more prepared for next season. In the meantime, a bit of, you know, uh, shameless self-promotion here. You can listen to my very new series called From Glitter to Grit, and it's about debunking mythological creatures and their origin stories of their ethereal facade and how they actually still walk among us today, but in different forms. But anyway, on to today's topic, albinism often colloquially referred to as albinoism, but we will go with albinism. It's a group of inherited mutations characterized by little or no production of the pigment melanin, which is responsible for the color of the skin, hair, and eyes. And if you remember in episode one, I have too much melanin in one of my eyes, which gives me the different colors. This condition can affect people as well as animals of all ethnic backgrounds. The symptoms of albinism are characterized by light skin color, but skin tone does not always differ substantially. Some individuals with albinism can have a skin tone similar to their relatives or ethnic group. Hair color ranging from white to brown. People of African or Asian descent usually have yellow, red or brown hair color, and that includes uh, facial hair as well, so eyelashes, eyebrows. And then eye color can range from light blue to brown and may change with age. Some people with albinism can have issues like nystagmus, involuntary eye movement, I hope I pronounced that right, strabismus, which is the misalignment of the eyes, astigmatism, nearsightedness or farsightedness. There are different types of albinism and they are usually categorized based on which genes are mutated. So the most common form of albinism, which we would all probably know, is ocular ocular cutaneous albinism which affects the skin hair and eyes but there's another type called ocular albinism and it just primarily affects the eyes and people with albinism are also at an increased risk for skin cancer due to the lack of melanin which helps protect the skin from harmful ultraviolet uv light now there's no cure for albinism but the condition can be managed with careful attention to eye development and skin protection this can involve regular eye exams wearing glasses or contact lenses, using sunblock and regularly checking the skin for signs of damage, which quite frankly, we should all be doing whether we have albinism or not. You know, when I was in primary school, there was a boy in the year below and he had albinism and we were from a very poor socioeconomic demographic and we weren't very accepting of the different. I was certainly teased because of my eyes, but it was other things like my scruffy hair that affected me with bullying. Um, However, with this boy, there was an air of coolness about him because he had an array of really cool sunglasses that he was allowed to wear to school and in the classroom. Now, this is the 80s, and he even had a pair which looked like a headband, but they were sunnies and you wore them over your eyes. And I'm sure if you're from that era, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They were the coolest sunglasses ever. I didn't even know his name, but he was the sunglasses kid because he just had all these cool, cool rays. His albinism didn't even come into play. Um... 
I don't know, that's a bit off topic, but that's the only albino person I've ever come across. So there we go. Um, unsurprising, there are many myths and misconceptions about albinism across different cultures and societies, often influenced by a lack of understanding about the condition. Um, in some communities in Africa, they're curses or blessings, and it's believed that albinism can either bring luck or is a punishment from the gods. If the culture deems them to be punishment, the children can actually be banished from the village and left to die on the outskirts, which is a bit grim. Uh, some myths attribute supernatural powers to people with albinism. There are beliefs that body parts of individuals with albinism can bring wealth and good luck, and that's not such a great thing in terms of uh, organ harvesting. Immortality. Another misconception is the notion that people with albinism are immortal or that they do not die but simply disappear. This is also a myth found in some African cultures. And red eyes. As discussed earlier, there's a common myth that all people with albinism have red eyes. While their eyes may appear to be red or violet under certain lighting conditions due to the reflection of light in the eye, they're not actually red. Now, these misconceptions can often lead to stigma, discrimination, and even violence against people with albinism. And I say in terms of um, violence because in the sub-Saharan uh, African cultures, um, it's very misunderstood and feared. There are beliefs that individuals with albinism possess supernatural powers and their body parts are sought after for use in rituals and potions. Tragically, this has resulted in violence against people with albinism, including kidnappings and murders in a quest for organ harvesting. There are also beliefs that albinism is a curse that can bring bad luck. So there are efforts that are being made globally to educate people about albinism and dispel these harmful myths. In Eastern Africa, in regions of Tanzania and Burundi, some people believe that having sexual relations with a woman with albinism can cure HIV or AIDS. And this dangerous misconception has led to sexual violence and an actual increased HIV infection rate. In the Pacific Islands, in certain cultures in the Pacific Islands, albinism is considered a blessing or a sign of past ancestors, leading to individuals with albinism being revered and protected. That's a nice one. Western cultures. In Western cultures where albinism is less prevalent and often less understood, people with albinism may face discrimination and social exclusion. They may be subject to ridicule or exclusion due to their appearance and are often misrepresented in media as being associated with evil or possessing supernatural powers. And in Native American cultures, among the Native American Hopi, albinos were historically seen as holding special status and were considered to have the power to pacify the gods. Now, I mentioned before in media, albinism has been portrayed in movies, literature and other forms of media. However, these depictions often reinforce stereotypes and misconceptions about the condition, which can perpetuate stigma and misunderstandings. In many films, characters with albinism are often portrayed as villains, lending a sinister or eerie quality to the character due to their distinct appearance. Examples include the character Silas in The Da Vinci Code, the evil twin assassins in The Matrix Reloaded, and the albino in The Princess Bride. These portrayals often exploit the visual distinctiveness of albinism, but don't represent the realities of living with the condition. In the movie Powder, the main character is an individual with albinism who possesses extraordinary intellectual and paranormal ab abilities. In literature, characters with albinism often have mystical or supernatural qualities. I already mentioned the movie, The Da Vinci Code. It's the same in uh, the book. The character Silas is an albino monk portrayed as a murderous villain. In The Hunchback of Notre Dame by Victor Hugo, the character Frollo has an irrational fear of an imaginary creature which he refers to as the albino. In comic books, in the Marvel Universe, the character Gabriel Summers, Vulcan, is an antagonist with albinism. 
And in DC Comics, there's a villainous character named Tobias Whale, who is an African-American mob boss with albinism. There's quite a few television series, uh, The Heat of the Sun, um, where the superintendent Albert Tyburn uh, is a character with albinism. In Ozark, the character uh, Ruth Langmore has a brother, Wyatt, who is characterized as having albinism. And then in some video games, in the video game series Street Fighter, there's a character named Gil, who is presented as a divine figure with a unique form of albinism that divides his body into two different colors. Like my eyes, woo! It's important to keep in mind that many of these portrayals oversimplify or misrepresent albinism. I mentioned that before, but they emphasize the physical appearance of individuals with albinism while neglecting to present them as full and complex characters. As awareness and understanding of albinism increase, it's hoped that the more realistic and nuanced portrayals will become prevalent in media. There was a cycle where albinism featured as the villains, and now it's heterochromia's turn. Um, but certainly in the modelling, fashion and photography industries, people with albinism are much sought-after subjects now. But here are some contemporary people who have found fame with albinism. Salif Keita, known as the Golden Voice of Africa. Uh, he's an acclaimed Afro-pop singer-songwriter for Mali. He has albinism and he's used his platform to advocate for the rights of people with albinism in Africa. Connie Chu. Uh, She's known as the world's first fashion model with albinism, born in Hong Kong and raised in Sweden. She has worked in the fashion industry since the 1990s. Nastya Zhidkova, another model with albinism. Nastya is from Russia and is considered to be one of the most beautiful uh, women in the world, and she has albinism. And then Sir Major Page, an American actor, model, and albino activist. Sir Major Page has been featured in several television series, including American Horror Story. These individuals have not only achieved personal success in their fields, but have also used their platforms to raise awareness about albinism and advocate for inclusivity and acceptance. Then there's Victor Venado, a stand-up comedian, actor and filmmaker who has albinism. He's African-American. He often incorporates his experiences and observations about albinism into his comedy routines. He uses humour to challenge stereotypes, raise awareness about the condition and encourage audiences to view albinism and difference in general in a more accepting and understanding light. Um, He's pretty funny and he's on YouTube. So Victor Venado, um, look him up. He's great. Then there's also a well-known family in India, which all members have albinism. The Pulan family, residing in Delhi, were recognized by the Guinness World Records in 2012 as the world's largest family in which every member has albinism. The family includes uh, the father, uh, Rose Tori Pulan, his wife, Manny, and their three daughters and two sons, all of whom have albinism. And if you look them up, the Pullen family, they're incredible. They they look and um, they you can tell that they're a really close family, like they're really delightful. They've spoken openly about the difficulties they've faced due to the lack of understanding about albinism in their community, including discrimination and social exclusion. They've also dealt with health issues related to albinism, such as poor vision, which is a common condition associated with albinism. The family's recognition by the Guinness World Records has brought international attention to their situation, has helped raise awareness about albinism. There are several artists as well who have featured albinism in their works, often with the intention of challenging conventional beauty standards, increasing visibility and promoting understanding of the condition. Here are a few examples. Gustav Klimt, the Austrian symbolist painter, featured individuals with albinism in his works. One of his most famous works, the Beethoven Frieze, painted in 1902, includes a character with albinism. 
Rick Giudotti, a former fashion photographer, Giudotti founded a non-profit organization called Positive Exposure. I love that. Which uses photography to transform public perceptions of people living with genetic, physical, intellectual and behavioral differences. He has created numerous portrait series featuring individuals with albinism. Yulia Tates, an Israeli photographer, Tates created a photo series called Porcelain Beauty that celebrates albinism. Her work showcases the unique beauty of people with albinism without using additional filters or Photoshop effects. And then Justin Dingwall, a South African artist, Dingwall's photographic series Albus explores the aesthetics of albinism in contrast to the idealized perceptions of beauty. His work often includes South African model and lawyer, Tando Hoper, who herself has albinism. These works of art not only highlight the unique beauty of individuals with albinism, but also play an essential role in increasing representation and challenging stereotypes and misconceptions associated with the condition. Now, genetic mutations has been the focus of our exploration throughout this season of the Mutation Station. We have ventured through the science behind fascinating conditions, representations in the media, influences on art, and the daily realities for those living with mutations. We've learned that while people with mutations may face unique challenges, they are not defined by their condition, but by their individual strengths, talents, and humanity. Most importantly, our journey has underlined the need for understanding, acceptance, and the dispelling of myths that surround mutations. As we continue to embrace diversity, it's vital to remember that everyone, regardless of genetic differences, contributes to the rich tapestry of human experience. I sincerely thank all of you for joining me on this enlightening journey, and to everyone who's encouraged me along the way, I really appreciate it. Your dedication to learning more about the complexity and beauty of genetic diversity helps foster a more inclusive and compassionate world. I express my heartfelt gratitude for your support and curiosity this season, and I look forward to delving into new mysteries of genetics with you in the next season. And remember, you are all perfectly imperfect and mutant.